1: You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action.
2: Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl here with David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer's at One Market in San Francisco as he covers the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Summit. Futures steady here as earnings season kicks off. J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells and Delta. Plenty to watch as we're coming off record closes for the S&P and NASDAQ. CPI up two three three year on year is the highest since late 18. Our roadmap this morning begins with the big banks kicking off earnings season. J.P. Morgan crushes estimates. Citi and Wells are mixed ahead of the open.
3: Plus, the state- sustainability is becoming the new standard. BlackRock CEO sounding the alarm, saying the climate crisis is about to trigger, quote, a fundamental reshaping of finance.
2: And the Tesla rally rolls on. Shares now up more than 100 percent in the past three months alone. We'll start with bank earnings. Uh, JPM Chase, uh, JPM Chase city each posting better than expected results wells fargo though was the outlier shares moving lower on this miss new ceo charlie sharp saying quote our cost structure is too high and i believe there are many areas where we will be able to increase our rate of growth efficiency really the story on uh, wells jim
1: well i mean i got to tell you i'm a total believer in charlie sharp and what he did at visa i think he is uh, without a doubt the most technologically inclined ceo in the bank group I do find that one to be the one that uh, maybe has the most opportunity here after this washout. Uh, it is a washout. Uh, I do not think Charlie's going to waste any more time. I think he has to address these things urgently, and he will. In the meantime, uh, Jamie Dimon, what, what can I say about J.P. Morgan? It's, it's thick. It's that incredible trading numbers. And City overlooked, really good number. You've got some incredible double-digit gains in credit card. So I think we're seeing two out of three ain't bad. No, return on
3: tangible common equity at Citi was 12.1%. Just to put that in perspective, you're talking 19%, Jim, at J.P. Morgan. But, you know, it's funny, right. from a story perspective, Wells Fargo is much more interesting because of Mr. Scharf, because of what he's trying to do uh, and undertake there in terms of creating efficiencies. I mean, just technology alone at Wells Fargo must be a huge undertaking to try and integrate all the different systems and everything they've got going on there.
1: Yeah, it does seem that Wells fell behind on these issues. Now, look, you can't blame I mean They had uh, really serious scrutiny on some very important issues involving cross-selling, which had been their, their stock in trade uh, under Mr. Stump. They've had to undo all of that. They've had to discipline people. At the same time, on the fly, they're supposed to be adding all the technology that a, that a Bank of America is going to add. They report tomorrow, or a city has, or J.P. Morgan has. And you, it was almost like you couldn't walk-in, chew gum at the same time. Wells is a very disappointing situation. But Charlie Sharp is the superior operator. I genuinely believe that Wells may offer some opportunity here just based on Sharp and the need to be able to cut. Nobody cuts better than Charlie. He seems like a nice guy.
3: Yeah. No, I know. And and I know he is, privately perhaps. When he says that his— Yes, privately! Obviously— The cost structure is too high, but he won't put a time frame on it. It's too early to put time frames, time frames around uh, the goals in
1: terms of increasing rate of growth and obviously cutting costs. What do you make of that? Well, I guess the stock went up with the rest of the group and we've got an ETFization of these stocks that is unwarranted. Uh, The no time frame tells me the stock could dip down to 48, 47 before it starts going back up again. That number was horrible. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, that is an outlier number. I have to wonder whether they haven't lost share. I have to wonder whether they literally are making less money per account than everybody else when they used to make more. You know, they were the star. So uh, was the star uh, over it? Was it inflated? I think if you go back and read that 110-page report by Sherman Sterling, which is underlooked, you'd see that Wells did a lot of things to make the numbers. You don't, once you, now you're seeing him without doing those a lot of things, and the numbers aren't any good.
2: Uh, As for JPM, uh, it's really a fixed story, Uh, up 86 year on year, almost a billion dollars ahead of the street, loans up three, Uh, pretty interesting quote here out of Diamond, guys, Uh, global growth stabilized, albeit at a lower level, and resolution of some trade issues helped support client and market activity towards the end of the year. Uh, It's being framed, Jim, as the best result, annual result for any American bank in history in a year where we all know the curve inverted and and the Fed cut three times.
1: We have, uh, we have tariffs. We thought that net interest margin, had, margin, which was so important, had to go down big. It turns out that the bank has growth. And what's really interesting, I think, David, you can speak to this. Clients are doing things again. Remember when clients were sitting on their hands? That's not happening. I wonder what the read through here is for Goldman Sachs is going to be.
3: It'll be interesting to see Goldman, of course. such a different story at Goldman, though. And by the way, just as an aside here, I do always encourage people who are thinking about investing in these companies, read the 10K. Don't just satisfy yourself with the the earnings release because a lot of these companies, and this gets me to Goldman, Jim, are very hard to follow and understand fully. I mean, you read the 10K at Goldman, for example. There's some things you're not going to fully understand. Now, they're going to do a better job, I think, of making it more transparent. That's going to be the key and part of their presentation on the 29th when they have that big investor day. But I'm not quite sure what the read-throughs are to Goldman Sachs. Especially, I mean, certainly in certain areas, you could say, okay, it's going to be strong, no doubt. Uh, But at the same time, you've got that whole shift and change in the institution in terms of at least some of its focus towards the consumer.
1: Oh, no, you're right. I mean, I think that Steve Scherer, the CFO, would be the first to admit that, uh, that Goldman's opaque and that has to change. Uh, by the way, I know that it's infancy with Apple and credit card, but I think the numbers that JP Morgan and Citi speak to big growth in credit cards. David, when when we get that deal on Wednesday, it talks about how the the financial companies can do more business. What would happen if Goldman were able to do credit card in China with Apple? Right now, they're limited to the United States. How many how many people have an Apple iPhone in China? This could be a huge win for them. And we know, by the way, that uh, the banks are in there talking to Mnuchin, uh, to Secretary yep. Mnuchin pretty consistently.
3: Yeah, another uh, reason you'd to buy, imagine that, that that there might be a real interest in that. By the way, Carl, I don't know if you ever gone on the Marcus website. They offer one point seven percent. Wow, terms how generous of a deposit wow. account. Just versus the point, g- I think I at J.P. Morgan right now. I'm getting point zero 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 four. I'm not sure.
2: Uh, it's going to be a, the consumerization of Goldman's a huge story for this year, and we're going to get uh, more uh, into. What we might learn about uh, China commitments, Jim, uh, regarding uh, phase one uh, in the coming days. But uh, some numbers starting to get leaked in terms of the allocation of that $200 billion in U.S. purchases. You mentioned fintech and credit cards. Visa's buying Plaid uh, for $5.3 billion, uh, which helps link bank accounts to various mobile apps. So this is not necessarily a story limited to the names we're covering today.
1: No, uh, those are much more uh, higher multiple stocks, and they get that higher multiple because they're doing things that are consistent. I continue to believe that the most consistent banks reward with higher multiples, hence JP Morgan going up. But Citi is still at around 10 times earnings versus these, uh, the giants of uh, Visa and MasterCard. But those are, remember, those are uh, paper to plastic, which continues to be a huge trend in the world. Uh, then we're seeing a PayPal go up a lot, which is plastic to digital. And that's another trend. These are all unbelievable trends, and they're all playing out to higher price earnings multiples for this group. I know we're going to be talking about Larry Fink. Uh, high price yeah. earnings multiples is driving, you know, re re-rating is driving the banks.
3: Um, On that Plaid deal, Carl, it is interesting, of course, that $5.3 billion price tag far above the most recent uh, round where they were valuing the company. I do understand there was competition there, you might expect, from, oh, let's probably guess MasterCard. Uh, But you ended up with a very big price for what was a unicorn uh, in the payments area. And Visa's first big foray in terms of an acquisition of that type.
2: Uh, nice looking chart there. Uh, we'll cover, obviously, the banks wow. all day today. Huge story. Uh, meantime, the head of the world's biggest asset management firm is sounding the alarm. BlackRock's Larry Fink warning that financial risks of climate change are bigger than any crisis he's experienced in his career on Wall Street. He's out with a letter to fellow CEOs saying the climate risk is investment risk. Listen to what he told our Andrew Ross Sorkin about where the Fed fits into the picture.
4: We don't have a Federal Reserve to, to stabilize the world like in the, f- the five or six financial crises that occurred during my 40 years in finance. This is bigger. It requires more planning. It requires more public-private uh, connections together to, to solve these problems. And I do believe many of these problems could be solved, but the actions have to begin now.
2: Of course, manages almost $7 trillion and. Yeah. This is a big, big move forward. You
3: could imagine that it would be, Carl, that it is. I mean, we've talked a lot about last year in some ways as being a watershed year for where ESG really rose up, certainly here in this country. Let's not forget, Europe's been ahead of us in this uh, as being a significant approach. uh, And this certainly ratifies that. At the same time, I have to tell you, there are some people who are somewhat skeptical, at least, uh, that I've talked to in the markets, significant asset managers, I might add, this morning, Jim, who just say, you know, this is right now, it's a lot of words, it's marketing hype I want to see real action here but one could imagine real action is to come when you hear those words from Mr. Fink and BlackRock is a seminal player in these markets in so many different ways when they talk about deepening the integration of sustainability across their investment and risk management platform by fully or formally integrating it into the risk and quantitative analysis group you would imagine that becomes something that a lot of companies are going to be aware of and Jim it's interesting Takeda Pharmaceutical presented at J.P. Morgan, where you are, it's a pharmaceutical company, a big one. Its first four or five slides in this presentation were all about its carbon footprint. There it is. That's what companies now are focused on. And it's just interesting that they would do that. Now, that's actually the first, very first part I wanted to show. We well, We're none of the right ones there, but my point is, there it is. ESG is becoming so important, not just for the investors, but for the companies to show that they're hitting
1: the right notes. Yeah, this is huge. And uh, uh, kudos to Andrew Sorkin for an amazing interview. Uh, and the deal book article is a must read in the New York Times. What I see here is that he also said, Larry also said, you know what? This could lead uh, to um, issues where they will directly challenge management. David, does that mean proxy fights on companies that aren't doing the job?
3: Yes. I mean, listen, there is already, you know, Value Act uh, took the lead here, I think, some time ago. Uh, Jeff Ubin, you know, there are some things they're doing at uh, a number of companies there. But, yeah, it could mean that you see now, you know, in the interview with Andrew, he said, listen, you don't know when we're voting against directors or when we're having conversations, actually, with companies to change their ways and then we vote in favor of their directors. You don't see that happening. But he it does seem to at least lay the groundwork for them being more active on this. Activist investors, as I said, such as Value Act, have already taken the lead to a certain extent at some companies. Uh, The big one, Jim, remains. uh, When are we going to see a move made on one of the big oil companies? Um, You know, and, and somebody pushing them. Conceivably, their shareholder base continues to contract as a result of all these ESG metrics that are coming into play here for so many big asset managers.
1: Yeah, look, when oil was at $26 a barrel, these stocks they were much higher, substantially higher. I think younger managers just avoid this group like the plague. Uh, I, fo- I follow and focus on the Robin Hood uh, people. Remember, they've got $900 million just in, in a budget to be able to grow. Uh, they ha- have mostly millennials, $10 million counts. Guess what They uh, millennials care about first? What do they ask about first? ESG. So the investors of the future care passionately about this. The only company I follow that is genuinely rewarding its own managers for doing this is Clorox. I think a lot of the big Fang kind of companies are deeply focused on this, but they're all trying to scramble to figure out what's the best thing. Right now, I think the best thing that a lot of them are doing is trying to get the electric grid to be far more on solar, and that is working. The electric grid obviously is the problem because so much of it is coal. They've got to get out of coal last year, second biggest year of uh, getting out of coal. I think these companies are forcing the coal industry to really go into oblivion. And Larry Fink has said it. We're not going to buy yep. coal stocks. There aren't that we're many of them buy, left. But, I mean, made that point. Right,
3: but the market, market value of coal stocks, I don't even know. It fits into Tesla's one-day move yesterday, probably, Jim. we got to start somewhere,
1: David. Yeah. Know, you, you got to start
3: somewhere. I mean, Right, but when you well, get to the big guys, and we had this conversation, well, you know, with Mike Worth last week, Chevron. we asked him about yeah. it a bit, from well, which
2: explains his commitment and almost obsession with the dividend. Yeah, right. You're going to have to compete with right. people's values, and in a low rate environment. Uh, maybe at some point the dividend will elicit a response from investors. But I don't know.
1: I mean, my travel trust owns BP, and it's just, you know, I I like to uh, take out, criticize managers. It's stupid. I was stupid. What I didn't realize was BP would not be attractive with a 6% yield because BP is forever tarnished with Bacondo. BP is regarded as a despoiler of the environment. Look at that stock. Look at that dividend. And tell me it isn't because they are the hated, even though, of course, they've tried to do things. They were the ones that... People just think did the most to destroy the environment.
2: Yeah, well, of course, we don't know where the stock would be without it. So it's uh, uh, that that, that unknowable uh, how much it's supporting overall valuation. Guys, a lot to get to this morning. We're going to get Kramer's Mad Dash. We'll count down to the opening bell. Uh, You saw that chart of Tesla as we get another price target increase today as Jeffries goes to a six handle. We'll talk about that and a lot more from Jim at the J.P. Morgan Health Conference when Squawk on the Street comes back.
3: get to an opening bell about 12 minutes from now. Let's do it. Go cross-country, get a mad dash in ahead of that market open.
1: Jim, what is your focus? Uh, uh, David, I'm looking at a report by Wedbush saying a re-rating of Apple is coming. Could be a $2 trillion company. The news that is good is not baked in. We're talking about uh, 220 million iPhone units. Now the new line in the sand, 5G coming. Uh, remarkable demand for the AirPods, Look at it, jaw-dropping AirPods momentum, $50 billion in services. I don't know, David, maybe this stock isn't done yet. I've been concerned that it's just been pure momentum, but this is a very positive report by WebBush. Remember, a lot of companies, a lot of research uh, firms have to catch up with the stock price. Yeah, they do. But, uh, Jim, aren't you worried at all about the, uh, what, almost doubling
3: of the multiple? I mean, here we sat for years and years talking about how cheap Apple was. You can't really do that anymore, can you?
1: Well, I do think, uh, that's a great point, David, because there's a term that they use that you and I know is often the kiss of death. David, they're talking about a super cycle, a 5G super cycle. Remember the coal super cycle in 2011? (laughs) Yeah, didn't work out too well.
3: No, so we got to be a little careful. careful. Yeah yeah at what point jim do you tell people listen it's been a great run but the multiple if at all multiples getting too high given
1: the expectations i mean this year they're not earning right their earnings are not going up that much yet no no what you have to do is now wait if you're not in the stock let's wait i mean look i i say own it don't trade it the people who trade it endlessly have hurt people but now if you don't own it let's see the number i mean if for all we know, an inline number would really t- uh, take the stock down dramatically. Uh, I think they'll probably do better than expected. But it, the, these analysts are just constantly saying, look, uh, i got to raise my price target. Why? Because the stock's going up. That's what I call circular reasoning. It's not why I like to buy a stock. I don't like stocks that go up purely because the P.E., the price earnings earnings multiple, goes higher. I like to see earnings. So now you have to wait. You have to wait. Remember last year at this time, the company pre-announced the downside. Obviously, it's much better than expected this time. But can we just kind of hold off if you're not in it to see whether the earnings justify the move?
3: Yeah. You know, listen, there are the, we all want to make an al- Well, not we all, but people want to make analogies, Jim, to 20 years ago. Hard to do. At the same time, it is somewhat reminiscent with all these price targets going up as opposed to anybody
1: saying, whoa, Look, you need to have uh, uh, people thinking this be a consumer stock because uh, it's almost getting a Procter & Gamble multiple on 20 uh on 2021. You know, obviously, if it gets a, a Procter & Gamble multiple, it can go much higher. But if it continues to be just regular or if it gets a Microsoft multiple, remember, Microsoft is growing double digits.
3: Right. Right. Well, P&G is going to get really aggressive on sustainability. All right. A reminder, you can always watch us live on the go on the CNBC app. A lot more squawk in the street? Straight ahead we got an opening bell for you.
5: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
2: first big day of earnings season and futures look pretty good here. All three are up, uh, all three indices are up three or four days. Dow and S&P have not had back-to-back losses since December 9th and 10th. Opening bell in just six minutes. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in just over three minutes. Obviously, an important day for the markets as earnings season really kicks off. We've been through the major banks. Delta is the other big one, uh, rising in the pre-market after reporting a beat on the top of the bottom line. Ed Bastian talked to Phil LeBeau this morning on our air. Airline had a strong holiday season and some success in decommoditizing its business. He also weighed in on Boeing's new CEO, Dave Calhoun.
4: I know Dave. known him for a long time. I've got
2: a tremendous amount of respect for Dave. He knows the company well. He'll be able to get in and, and have an impact. And I think you'll see his name uh, you continue to, to elevate you know, at Boeing in terms of making the type of changes that are necessary. Jim, stocks on pace or looks to open uh, for its best day since April uh, as the discussion turns to whether or not Airline is benefiting from all of its own efforts but also from the troubles that uh, its rivals are getting from the Max.
1: Right. I mean, once uh, max come on, there'll be a, a big capacity increase. Right now, there isn't. This Delta number is extraordinary. We all remember uh, the how much money these airlines used to, to lose. Their multiples are way too low versus what we're seeing from Delta. Obviously, if, if the max comes on, maybe this is the peak. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Boy, the American consumer is in a travel boom. That's the way I read it, a travel boom. Those who are on planes and it's always an extremely full flight, well, guess what? They're extremely full because the consumer is flying, the consumer is spending. We see that from J.P. Morgan. We see that from the credit card that American Airlines has with City. I'm kind of blown away, though. This is a much better than expected number.
2: Uh, yeah. Then you got this story in the, in the Telegraph, Jim, out of the U.K., uh, that Boeing is trying to keep orders going for the MAX and that they're offering discounts of 50%-plus discounts in the industry are not uncommon, but that is a startling number. We'll see if it ends yeah, up being look, true.
1: Uh, they're along the max. Uh, China's supposed to be buying American machinery. Yeah, Boeing does have other planes. I mean, it would be a sign of good faith by the Chinese to buy some of the other planes. Uh, I don't know. When is Boeing going to get ahead of uh, the news flow? We read some very critical uh, uh, comments about Lion Air and people from Boeing if I were Boeing and Calhoun, I would say, look, here's everything that anyone has said when we called up a, a uh, some sort of what I regard as being a definitive. Uh, le- bring in a lawyer and, uh, uh, from, from some firm that has standing and say, here's every document we have that e- ever mentions the Max, everything from every employee. Because when you see them making fun of Lion Air as idiots, I mean, it, it, it says, what the hell? I mean, what are these? How bad is it? What's that? What
2: you're saying. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to continue to look for the ancillary effects on employment. Uh, GE Aviation is going to lay off about 70 temp workers uh, after Spirit Aerosystems did cut 2,800 production workers in Wichita. Let's get the opening bell here of the S&P 500. That's uh, a big board. It's financial services company, Equitable, celebrating the unveiling of its brand. We'll talk to the CEO in about half an hour. At the NASDAQ, it's Nujoko Group, a leisure gaming technology company. So, one of those days where we know what we're going to watch at the open, and it's the banks.
3: Uh, yeah, the banks, uh, certainly we talked about. Not to mention, though, I got to watch Tesla, just because, I mean, we talked a lot about sustainability here. Who they had a cheer at the Equitable? We all know the ticker now EQM. Yeah,
2: right. QH is the symbol for QH.
5: Uh,
3: QH. QH. Yeah, it's a ticker cheer. Um, talking about tickers that you want to cheer, Tesla, again, I, you know, up another 3.5%. This may be a follow-through to yesterday. This stock up 30% so far this year. Jim, at what point are the shorts out of this thing, stop covering, and do we start to see at least some semblance of a leveling off?
1: Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see what the numbers are for... Uh, the the accounts that are short this, there's still 18% of the float short. Uh, This is a situation where people are re-rating this thing furiously because it's going to be profitable, and because of China and EV and electronic vehicles. I mean, I keep thinking about what Larry Fink was saying. Uh, Tesla fits the profile perfectly, doesn't it?
3: It does. I mean, it, it comes up there, of course, right? It'd be right at the top of a lot of your screens for ESG, at least on the sustainability front, given obviously they're making automobiles that don't have a significant carbon footprint Uh, I'm not sure what they do with all the batteries and everything else there's always an issue by the way on ESG we are still dealing with them with a nascent way to measure real progress because there are so many different things you can look at when it comes to the environment and sustainability not to mention other areas of don't forget it's not just about the e it's about uh, the governance also but jim it, it does become difficult and until we get that sort of set of standards that you can put right next to the accounting standards and believe in and compare across industries and within peer groups i still think it makes it difficult for investment managers to make
1: good decisions Look, look, it's touchy-feely, and it can't be touchy-feely. It has to be rigorous. It has to be benchmarked. I think that Larry Fink wants to go that way. Uh, We want to uh, like carbon-neutral stocks and love uh, carbon-negative stocks, a negative footprint. I mean, we we don't know yet. Uh, We do know that companies that reward executives like Clorox are going to be an interesting way to benchmark. Who is lowering the carbon foot? footprint as a executive at a company, and does that person get a bigger bonus than another person? That's what Ben O'Dora, at Clorox thinks has to yep. happen. That would be a very interesting way to be able to measure how much are they rewarding executives who are focused on ESG, because it's got to be within the ranks that matters.
3: Right. And it's not just, Carl, about the investor base wanting this, but also the companies in terms of attracting millennials and employees, they seem to care more than perhaps our generation did. That's at least what you hear. I, I, it's just very they mushy. Want, I know Seem it is, to they care want, more. Well, they want to work for a company that it's, it's not just about getting there, creating a career for themselves and making as much money as possible. No. Uh, that is at least what you hear from CEOs when you sit down with them and they talk about their workforce right. and what they feel that they want and what may be different. And it does change the way these leaders of the companies think about us. Yeah. I mean, we're just looking for metrics to try to measure it, right? right. Measure it and manage it. As
2: yeah. for Tesla, guys, right. uh, Jeffries goes from 400 to 600 today. Of course, on the heels of uh, yesterday's move over at Oppenheimer going to 612. That's their street high. Um, Shorts, Jim, on Tesla now down 2.8 billion, according to S3. Yeah. Uh, short interest still about Bull. 20%. And then... Um, uh, Axios has a great piece on if the valuation gets to 100 billion, which it's really not that far away at this point. Oh. The uh, the employment agreement with Elon Musk will give him 1 of shares, which is essentially back of the envelope a billion dollar payout. If uh, they could get a I remember
3: when he agreed yep. to that because he took very little sal- actual salary. Yeah, well, he's getting really close. I mean, it's a 98 billion dollar market value right now on Tesla, so it is fast approaching the 100 billion dollar. A market cap, Carl, that I guess will result in that nice little That's payday. A nice payday. Wow. <laughs> Talk about owning the shorts, Jim.
1: Well, why not? Uh, look, you're in an industry where everyone says there's no growth, that you keep coming in at 18 million vehicles here, that China's declining, and this guy's putting up growth numbers. It's a growth stock. So why shouldn't we, uh, if they can earn, say, 10 bucks next year? Uh, why should we pay twenty four, twenty five for it? And that's what I think is happening. It is being re-rated. People understand that they have uh, the cars that people want. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with a the pickup? Uh, they have a lot of deposits. But really, I mean, what's happened is the shorts controlled the, uh, the narrative here. And, and now yeah. no shorts really want to uh, raise their heads. But it's also about
3: autonomous. I know that we talk about it We keep pushing it out to a certain extent. I feel like we've been talking about it for years. But it is about the robotic taxi fleet of the future. And perhaps what some investors believe will be Tesla's ability to to, uh, have significant market share in whatever we know is coming. uh, Given all the miles their cars have driven, although it's not clear that they're actually keeping all that data. I need to get a better answer on that. The shorts will tell you they're not, Jim. Uh, but right. they got a lot of miles driven,
1: and that's a key. They've got a cult following, but when you start selling, let's say they sell 250,000 cars in China next year, that's not a cult. That's actual powerhouse numbers. I remember when people were worried that they couldn't get financing. I think what really happened here, not just the idea they're going to be profitable, but they, it, take it off the table. They can raise $2 billion right now during the next commercial break.
3: Yeah. Um, speaking about raising money, we, as we know, the banks, of course, that were uh, involved in doing those kinds of functions certainly did well. J.P. Morgan shares are up over 1 percent given right. that out, uh, outperformance in the quarter. Uh, Bank of America yet to report it's up. Citi also had a good quarter. It is up. But Wells Fargo is definitely the feature this morning, uh, Carl, down over 4 percent. Charlie Scharf sort of speaking reality to a marketplace that perhaps was hoping for a bit better, saying we're going to get it there, but not giving any timeline on when in terms of both efficiencies and return to growth. Yeah. Jim, are you um,
2: underwhelmed at all by loan growth, uh, which we knew was going to be a, a dynamic going into the, the prints here? But loans up three. I mean, it's solid, but uh, not overwhelming,
1: right? But, but credit card up very big. And I, I do think that what you have is Loan growth with very little uh, credit impairment. I think that that's very positive. You know, look, the economy is not uh, I- I- exceedingly strong, but we have virtually no inflation, uh, and I think that J.P. Morgan is a great read-through to the economy, which is that, look, it's growing good. I do feel that if you're uh, President Trump, you could say, you know what, if should grow even faster. It is difficult to try to figure out how to make things grow faster. How do you get more lending when there isn't uh, enough demand for something that you're borrowing for? And I think that that's the problem. I don't think it's regulation. I just think People are, have to pay a lot for labor these days. Uh, there's very little reason to expand, because if you're saying expand in retail, you're up against, say, an Amazon or a Walmart. You want to expand in manufacturing. Well, we don't know. Manufacturing still very expensive in the country. The big expansion in this country was coming from Boeing. Uh, that's kind of not happening. So I don't know. I, I just think that the, the consumer is so solid that they don't need loans. The consumer doesn't need a loan. The consumer can do it with cash. That's how solid the consumer is. By the way, we had big tariffs. Where's the inflation? I thought they were supposed to be. Apparel was minus. Where's the inflation? And I just think well, these are good numbers. I'm surprised that Citi's not up more. That was a really great quarter.
2: Yeah. Uh, CPI, of course... Um in line, essentially, two, three year on year, both headline and core. Uh, we're we're going to hear from Williams and Esther George later today as well. So we'll get some commentary on the inflation front. Let's get an update Esther on what George? they're saying on the bank's <laughs> earnings calls. Uh, Wolf and Frost is watching that. Hey, Wolf.
6: Hey, Carl. Yeah, I've been listening to the JP, JP Morgan call. Three big takeaways from earnings so far. One, December, much stronger than expected in fixed income commodities and currencies trading and also in debt capital markets. Two, pressures from lower rates continue to have less impact than feared. And three, Wells Fargo, ouch, again. On the first point, uh, for JP Morgan, Fick. Trading was 3.4 billion. Expectation 2.6 for City 2.9 billion compared to expectation for 2.4 billion. And in terms of debt in issuance, J.P. Morgan CFO Jim Peepsack said, "Quote: Clients accelerated their funding to take advantage of attractive pricing conditions to strengthen their balance sheets." Here is Chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon linking that December uptick to trade tensions easing. Obviously, trade
7: caused a lot of consternation that has eased off a little bit I don't think it's going to completely go away because you still have potential ongoing trade issues with China and Europe and stuff like that but I think because that sentiment got better trading got better uh... but how, how long that continues we don't know
6: Net interest margins for all three banks continued to hold up better than feared, and loan growth remained solid, meaning net interest income numbers overall did not disappoint. The same cannot be said for Wells Fargo overall, though if there's a silver lining or perhaps a bronze lining, it's that the miss came on the expense side, not the revenue side. Charlie Scharf's uh, first earnings call kicks off at 10 a.m. His CFO will be on closing bell today, and Citi's earnings call kicks off at 11.30 a.m. Guys.
2: All right, Wilf, we'll, uh, we will talk to you in the not too distant future, of Wilfred Frost. Uh, Jim, we should touch on healthcare because there's a ton of news again uh, coming out of the conference. McKesson's the best S&P here right now.
1: Yeah, look, it turns out this is something Lisa Gill mentioned. Now, she is the JP Morgan, one of the JP Morgan's healthcare analysts, saying that the middleman, McKesson, could surprise the upside. That's what it looks like. I am surprised that uh, the drug stocks just aren't moving more. But you know, we've got a heavy rotation into companies that, do, uh, that are going to benefit from the trade deal. Uh, and the drug companies are not that kind of company. I do think that we're hearing tremendous stories of innovation out here. Uh, that's not driving anything either. Uh, I'm not saying that these companies aren't doing anything important. I am saying that they're doing things important, but it's paling in comparison to uh, the kind of surprises that we're getting, say, from the J.P. Morgan and from the city, which really are amazing, by the way, because it justifies the whole move. Now, I'm speaking. I, I met with CVS yesterday. It had them on. I thought Larry Merlot told a great story It's selling it nine times earnings. I mean, the bank stocks are moving to 10, 11 times earnings. Uh, There is a compression in the group, and I think some of the compression comes from the fact that, well, people are worried about the debate tonight. They're worried about what the Democrats are going to say, and I don't blame them because we're going to hear a lot more about single payer again. Look, Bernie Sanders is in the lead.
2: Yeah, yeah, he is uh, at least Des Moines Register. Uh, There's been some others that have Biden in the lead, even in Iowa and New Hampshire. But a debate tonight, the last debate before the caucuses, uh, will be one to watch. You know, Jim, the other element here is the analysts are trying to keep up. Uh, Netflix reports a week from today, and Goldman goes to 450. Uh, Deutsche takes Alphabet to 1735. I mean, this is happening every day we come in.
1: Yeah, well, this is the kind of uh, this is the kind of move I don't like. I know I don't want to be a heretic and go against this, but unless you get remarkable earnings, the way you're getting from J.P. Morgan and Citi, and those companies are obviously lower multiple. What happens is these stocks are going up because they're going up. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when you come in and you're a Google analyst, uh, Alphabet analyst, and you're using, say, a $1,300 uh, dollar price target, and the stock's at $1,437, you run the risk of looking irrelevant. So what do you do? You come in and you say $1,500. Well, what are you basing that on? I think you're just basing it on the fact that the stock ran, ran through your price target. Typically, you're supposed to be able to say, you know what, it got to where I was. I recommended it at 700. Now it's at 1400. I'm done. But people are afraid. The analysts are afraid. They do not want to be the people who say, you know what, the valuation is difficult here at 33 times earnings. But uh, my charitable trust owns Alphabet. And I'm sitting here thinking, maybe I got to take a little off the table just out of discipline. Where's the discipline? I'm not seeing a lot of discipline.
2: That's, uh, that's something that gets said a lot about the sell side. We'll watch it. Uh, Dow's up five points. Uh, we're hanging in at 32.81. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Bob. Good morning, guys. Uh, kind of a flattish open here. Some of the leaders recently, like emerging markets, China, a
4: little bit weaker today. Just take a look here. Uh, semiconductors, uh, flattish. Industrials, a little flat. Uh, banks, which have had a tough time this so far this year, uh, down slightly today. Emerging markets in China really have been the leaders in the last month or so. Again, you see them down a little bit here i think we 're running out of steam here. I just want to show you China because the trade deal signing uh, is imminent. Want to note uh, that we had very good numbers here on China December trade data. that really helped. Look at this run up. This is the big the, the most important. Uh, ETF, MCHI is the broadest China ETF you can own. We're talking about an 11% rally in the last couple of months here on expectations of the trade deal signing and hopes for better economic data in China. Remember that global bottoming story? That's generally happening, at least numbers we got out of China, and you see a nice move there. Elsewhere, in terms of the banks, you heard Wolf giving you a rundown of what was going on here. J.P. Morgan's been kind of flattish so far this year. It's been tough because we're not moving up at all on treasury yields. Citigroup, that's a new high, I think, $82 for a City. And of course, you heard Wells Fargo disappointment. The only thing I would add to what Will said is I tend to look at things like fees, which people don't pay a lot of attention to. Fees have been very good for a lot of these banks, and they're a significant part of their revenues. That's what you're paying for your ATMs and things like that, up 21 percent. Fixed income, very volatile. That's good. Equities was good. Net interest income. Folks, it's still hard to make money on your interest-bearing accounts. Just bear, just bear that in mind. Even if you've got somewhat decent loan growth, still tough to make money on those interest-bearing accounts. I want to point out the role of buybacks again here because Citigroup and JP Morgan is in that small group of companies that are very aggressive in their buybacks. JP Morgan bought back uh, about 2% of the value of their stock. Last quarter, Citigroup, about 3.2%. In the last five years, look at this, Citigroup has reduced their shares outstanding by 28%, JP Morgan by 16 and they are continuing to do that and did so in the last quarter, continuing to do that. My point is that even if you have, say, 15%, earnings growth in Citigroup, if uh, three, 3.2% of that is uh, is due to buybacks, you're talking about 20% of an impact because of buybacks. It's significant, and people ought to be aware of that since buybacks are a very big issue. you heard about Larry Fink and BlackRock talking about ESG. Here's what's important. They're going to essentially muscle dramatically muscle up the ESG assets under management. They're going to double their offerings. They're talking about sustainable flagship index products. What the heck does that mean? That means they're going to have alternatives to the S&P 500 that's essentially a ESG S&P 500 that's out there. They're going to talk about screening out fossil fuels. They're going to have strategies, new fat strategies focused on global energy transition. That means clean energy, essentially. They're going to push and muscle this, uh, this forward. Now, you might say How important is ESG at this point? It wasn't until about a year and a half ago, to be honest with you, ESG was a little bit of a joke. We we have four trillion dollar ETF business. Only fifteen billion was in ETFs. Look, only three percent of all the assets are in ESG. You might say. That's kind of a joke, right? Three percent? You got to be kidding me! It was less than one percent a year and a half ago, so it's growing fast. And my estimate, guys, this number—15 billion assets under management ESG—that's going to double in the next year. Remember, David, you mentioned this before. The SEC has had questions about these ESG people. They have sent a note out saying we want to know more about what's in these ESGs and how you define them because it's a little fuzzy to us. And indeed, they're right. There's a new high for BlackRock, T Rowe Price, their competitor, also on the upside. Other ones that have had
2: higher fee costs like
4: Waddell and Reed
2: had a much, much tougher time. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob, thank you very much. Let's get to the bond pitch. Rick Santelli at the CME in Chicago. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Now, I'm not sure if it's a slow
7: fallout from what was a tame CPI consumer price index that we saw at 830 Eastern this morning, but look at a one and a half week chart of tens. We are visiting the low yields across the curve, 10s are now down three basis points. If you look at a week and a half of boons, they're down one basis point, basically hovering at the highest yields in close to seven and a half months. Now, if we look at a chart from mid-May, you could see what I'm talking about with regard to how aggressive it is getting less and less negative, and the difference or the spread between U.S. 10s and European 10s is approaching 200, haven't been at 200 since February of 18, so we'll call it almost two years. There's another market that's starting to go parabolic, and that, of course, is the yuan, the Chinese currency against the greenback. As you see on this chart, that starts in July. We are at five-and-a-half-month lows. That's the dollar versus the Chinese currency. It isn't necessarily a surprise, but as more data and information leaks on phase
2: one, the better it looks. Carl, David, Jim, back to you. Thank you very much, uh, Rick Santelli. So, uh, some moderate movement in the overall indices uh, today, despite sort of the attention that's being paid to the banks on the first day of earnings season. Of course, coming off a record closes for the S&P and the NASDAQ, all three are up, all major indices are up three out of four sessions. China exports overnight, uh, up 7.6, first gain in about five months. David, you know, as we wait for the signing tomorrow, a big story is going to be what happens if China's economy ends up rolling over? Can they adhere to commitments to buy $200 billion worth of U.S. goods.
3: It has been pointed out that the commitments, at least, and we'll see whether they are truly outlined specifically, Carl, in terms of the numbers, but the commitments that have been discussed are far above what have been the previous highs for China's purchases. Uh, so, the question is what they will need to do in order to be able to reach those goals, and what will happen if they don't? Yep. Some of the breakdown
2: here, uh, manufactured goods, $80 billion, but they're not giving, obviously, granularity on categories or anything like that. We are getting some news from the House about the timing of a resolution to send those articles of impeachment over to the Senate. For that, we'll go to Elon Mui. Elon?
0: Carl, House Democrats are holding their weekly caucus meeting right now. And a source tells me that Pelosi is suggesting to her members that the House vote tomorrow on that resolution to send the articles of impeachment over to the senate and also name the managers in the house who will make the case for impeachment to the upper chamber now that would end a week's long stalemate between house democrats and senate republicans over whether this trial should include witnesses for now the answer is no but there have been some moderate gop senators who have indicated that they would be open to hearing for witnesses later in the process once the Senate does receive those articles from the House, guys, the expectation is that the trial would begin in earnest after the MLK holiday. Back over to you.
2: All right. So, Elon, uh, two things. One is uh, any effort by the Senate to dismiss outright appears to be essentially dead, right?
0: That's right. Uh, President Trump has suggested over Twitter over the weekend that he might want the Senate to dismiss the case entirely, but there is just not support for that in the Republican caucus over in the Senate. We heard from Roy Blunt, one of of the members of Republican leadership, top senator, GOP senator, um, who said that there just aren't the votes to do that. So it looks like there will be a full trial. The big question mark is really how long this trial goes and whether some of those moderate senators like Susan Collins of Maine um, will call to hear witnesses later on in the process and that could extend this trial for several weeks.
2: Yep. Uh, we'll be watching the Romneys, the Collinses, the Murkowskis of the world for the next uh, couple of days. Uh, Elon Mui on Washington. Elon, thank you. Uh, a note here, be sure to check out our podcast. You can listen to the opening bell hour or squawk on the street. Wherever you listen to podcasts as the Dow is the Dow's down five points on this first day of earnings season, S&P 3282. Keep your eye on Smile Direct, up 12% here, as their aligners are now going to be available at dentist offices and orthodontist offices. Just one of several names that went public in 2019, had a rough second half, and are managing to recover some of that ground in early 2020. Uh, Beyond me. again, up another 20 bucks today, we'll watch that. Let's get to Kramer and stop trading.
1: A lot of people are asking for something, a way to play the signing tomorrow. Uh, that- bank of america has union pacific as a way to do it i totally agree the rails could benefit from these different uh what we're hearing about these different buys off the 200 billion union pacific play it as it lays that's the one to buy
2: Uh, yeah we're gonna start to get uh some information from the transports jim which be nice to have that ratify every all the good news we've gotten from other parts of the economy
1: oh wouldn't it be we don't want to Look, it, whatever's fluff will send the market down. Whatever's actual hard dollars could drive things up. We have a kind of sloppy market today, I think, because people are tired of buying the same old stocks every day or nothing new. And I, I do want to be careful. I do want to caution people that it's okay to take a breather on Fang. Fang does not need to go up every single day. All right. Jim, what's on Mad tonight? Uh, more from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. I've got, uh, I've got Medtronic. Which is talking about robotics. And I think that's very important. And Dexcom, which is uh, trying to deal with what is a worldwide epidemic, diabetes.
2: All right, Jim. Uh, great having you out there all week long. Uh, Jim Kramer, the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Summit. You'll see him on Mad Money tonight, if not before.
1: You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx.